Hi everyone, this is Carlos and Ricardo with Marketer Brothers. We have a very, very special guest today in our interview honoring our veterans. I have here with me Pete Tanzili. Yep. Yeah, correct. PJ for short. Yep. Yep. We don't know where the J comes from, but you'll explain that <laughs> later. <laughs> yep. I will. PJ has an amazing story to share with us today, and uh, he's he's an Army veteran, correct? Air, Air Force veteran. Yep. Sorry, I didn't mean to offend anybody. I know that's <laughs> it's a sore subject. It's a sore subject. <laughs> sore subject, and he's also a, a police force mm -hmm. uh, veteran as well, um, honorably discharged from both. And um, you know, we wanted to continue honoring the veterans, even though Veterans Day was yesterday. But you know, we we just couldn't pass uh, spending some time with you and kind of learning about your story. We've spent uh, about 15 minutes right now just chatting and, and and you've shared a lot with us so i thank you already for that time but uh man welcome to the marketer brothers cha channel here and uh, we're we're so very thankful for your service Thanks. and appreciate all you've done for for us and our families um that is something that uh, i think we, we should honor not only on veterans day or veterans day week but you know every day of the year so um alongside with operation enduring warrior oew for short who we've discovered has a tremendous oh, mission better, and, and really has, has created an environment for uh, people like yourself to participate in things that you never thought possible before, right? right? right. So Ricardo has been working with them for uh, a while now, and um, we will talk a little bit more about the organization, but uh, Pete, please tell us a little bit about who you are, where were you born, how how'd you get you know uh, duped into going to the Air Force, <laughs> and then uh, of course your your story in the police, and 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 then later on your 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 story with your with your injury, and uh, where are you now? So um, my my nickname, as you said, is PJ. Um, Peter Joseph is my middle name, so that's where that kind of comes from. I was born in in Massachusetts, not uh, far from Boston. Uh, grew up, raised there for uh, through high school. After I graduated high school, I took a year to kind of figure out where I was going to go and went to visit an Air Force recruiter. My dad mentioned that. I was landscaping at the time. There you go. And um, my dad is an Army veteran. So he said, let's go to the Air Force recruiter because the Army is uh, horrible. <laughs> um, I mean, it's gr great service, but the quality of life, as far as quality of life goes, in 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 every branch of the military he thought the air force would be better for me so went to get information ended up signing up that day oh, wow. and that was at hanscom air force base which is outside of boston as well so not long after that i um <clears throat> entered basic training which would have been june of 97. after basic training i was sent out to albuquerque new mexico to my permanent duty station kirtland air force base where I did four years. I got out in June of 2001 and then 9-11 happened. Wow. I was immediately called back into active duty and I served another 11 months. So I have two honorable discharges from the United States Air Force. I got out and went uh, directly into civilian law enforcement, I actually worked for the federal government for about, I don't know, maybe three or four years and ended up with a, um, <clears throat> after a while I traveled around for a little bit with the government, ended up coming back to New Mexico and began working for a tribal police department, which you're familiar here because there's a lot of Indian reservations. Yes. 
So I worked on an Indian reservation for that tribal government. Mm. So I was a police officer there for several years. I did um, field services. So I'd take calls for service, domestic calls, crashes, things like that. Worked as uh, a special agent investigator for a while as well. Um, was uh, a supervisor and ended up at the end of my career, I was a traffic officer. <clears throat> so there was just a small traffic unit funded by the government uh, through uh, the Bureau of Indian Affairs. Okay. And we did uh, checkpoints, DUI checkpoints. We did saturation patrols, targeted patrols, and uh, basically, I mean, your traffic enforcement DUI stuff. And loved it. It was all I wanted to do, you know, growing up was be a police officer. Oh, really? So that was your original? Chips. Wow. I watched Chips and uh, and 21 Jump Street yeah, as yeah. a kid. And, and I wanted to, which by the way, I started watching 21 Jump Street again yeah. on Hulu and it's horrible. <laughs> um, but I mean, it was something that sort of shaped, you know, what I wanted yeah. to do with the rest of my life. And, and I had no expectation of where I wanted to do it. It just sort of the area just sort of fell in my lap. Um, you know, I had a really good friend who was a supervisor where I ended up working and he begged me and begged me to come work for him. You know, he had low staff, he really needed the help. And so I ended up going out there and I loved it because this is a group of people, uh, Native Americans, yeah. who are so wonderful and in a lot of ways forgotten. They're on their reservations and people don't really think about them too much. Um, but they're so amazing. And they really, I mean, they, they took me in as a non-Native American uh, and sort of brought me into that family atmosphere they had. I would arrest somebody one day and the next day they'd be inviting me to, to dinner. Wow. Um, so there was really, you know, outside of some of the frequent flyers that of course really had bad runnings with us, um, there was just this atmosphere where everyone was, it was just so tight knit. Um, so I did that for several years and, and towards the end, I, I met my wife, uh, we were engaged and <clears throat> March 24th of 2016, I was on duty and ended up getting shot in the line of duty. Um, I worked uh, 7 PM to 3 AM and I got kind of bored and we had a couple casinos in our jurisdiction. And I went to one of them that we had a lot of uh, issues with property crime, drugs, uh, stolen vehicles was one of those property crimes, whether they were being stolen from that property or, 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 or um, ditched, so to speak on that property, we would find and, and you know, recover several, um, you know, each month. So if I would get bored, I'd go to the parking lot and I'd check license plates and I'd, you know, it was one of those crimes where a car other than somebody's house is usually the biggest investment yeah. of somebody's life. And when <clears throat> people who can barely afford their car have that, have that car stolen from them, it, it really affects them, mm -hmm. you know, not just personally, but financially as well, because they've got a lot of times it comes back crashed. They have to repair that, you know, to replace that car, re repair it. So it becomes this huge, financial and personal burden but I like to find those cars and I really like to be able to call the owners of those cars that reported the car stolen to tell them hey we've recovered your car 
you know, um, it's down here, come get it. It's in good shape, whatever the case is. That's awesome. <clears throat> I always wanted to be a cop because helping people was um, really paramount, especially towards the end of my career. Buying somebody gas or giving somebody a ride or, you know, um, a hitchhiker needed a ride somewhere. I would have much rather done all of that than make the arrests mm -hmm. or get into a car chase or th things of that nature. So helping people, um, you know, with what they needed was very important. So I located a stolen vehicle of the night. And what you say is very important because I think many times we never think about police doing those things. But a right. lot of that happens, right? Uh, way more than you'll see videos every now and then of uh, of a police officer buying somebody gas yeah. or you'll read a story on Facebook. Right. Social media is good because it can highlight things like that, mm -hmm. but it happens so much more often than what is recorded yeah. or what is uh, talked about. I mean, I could, I could, I could have literally done that almost every day mm. um, at work. I worked in, in an area that had uh, 60, close to 60 miles of a major, you know, interstate that went right through it. So that was my area that I patrolled. And I mean, there's a lot of people that are breaking down or yeah. running out of gas and they're desperate because they don't know where they are. Mm -hmm. They may not have cell service. They can't make that phone call. So just a simple pull up behind them, stop, get out yeah. and check to see if they're okay, you know, um, and address any need that they might have. Exactly. It's huge. So yeah, it happens many more times than, than what you see on Facebook or any social media platform. But, um, but yeah, so, so that night, which ended up being the last night of my career, um, I found a stolen vehicle. It was occupied by two um, males, which I didn't know until they parked and exited the car. Mm. Um, and forgive me, I don't talk about the story much anymore. It's just kind of gotten to this point where, where you just don't talk about it. You go from talking about it all the time to talking about it less and less each day. Yeah. But they ended up parking. I was by myself, so I didn't really know, excuse me, the best way to go about challenging them for lack of better, better terms, mm -hmm. you know, addressing that situation as safely as possible, getting them into the custody and going from there. So I did speak to my dispatch. Um, they ran the plate, came back stolen. I asked for backup, but I was in an area where there wasn't really many other people around as far as um, <clears throat> who I worked with. So I called for backup for anyone, the state police, the sheriff's department, the city of Albuquerque, and then also the people that I worked with, the officers that I worked with. And in that time, while I was waiting, I was thinking, well, what am I going to do? Am I going to wait for them to get out of the car? And, um, you know, with a felony situation like that, your gun is out because you, you automatically assume that somebody in a stolen car has drugs and weapons. Um, while waiting for that backup, they ended up getting out of the car and walking towards me as I was parked in front of the entrance to the casino. This is a casino that it was about midnight. So there are 24 hours. People were inside, probably a few hundred people inside gambling and then a hotel that was attached to it. So probably several hundred people inside the hotel as yeah. well. So as they got out and started walking towards me, I exited my car. Um, of course, I, I engaged my body camera. And as soon as they got closer to me, and I'm fairly certain that they knew I was there and, and they, they knew that there was going to be some sort of a confrontation, but I, I approached them, gun out, you know, identified myself, 
told them to get on the ground and one of them immediately ran. Mm -hmm. So if there wasn't enough red flags before that, this was a huge one. Yeah. So now you're, you know, the, the hair in the back of your neck is, is standing up and you are incredibly vigilant. So that guy runs, I've got a watch now to see where he goes. Did he go back to the car? Is he just trying to get away? Is he going to get a gun or whatever the case is? The other guy ends up sitting down on uh, a bench kind of thing. And uh, so now I'm focusing on him and I'm ordering him down to the ground uh, on his stomach to uh, take him into custody. And he's not listening to a word I'm saying. And I'm advancing as I'm ordering him to the ground. And as I get closer, I throw him to the ground to sort of gain that control, right? Um, I get on top of him. They teach us now a lot of jujitsu, a lot of, you know, that mixed martial arts um, as far as, I mean, I want to say a lot, but basic how to get in the full mount onto somebody to keep them right, to submit, to submit them and get them turned over because you want them on their stomach so you can handcuff them. And so I'm on top of him and we're fighting and I ended up putting my gun back in the holster because I had at this point, I needed both my hands free and we're fighting and he's giving, he's putting up a pretty good fight. And there was at one point where I thought, well, I'll pepper spray him. Because he's really, I mean, he was probably about half my size. I was always sort of, of a big guy. But and little did I know at the time, he was a, a really good wrestler in high school. Hmm. So this was a position that he wanted to be in. Yeah. Um, and now with the MMA, a lot of, a lot of officers are, are training on their own time because you don't know who's, who's out there doing it as well. Yeah, exactly. And I get my pepper spray out and I go to pepper spray him. I think I told him I was going to do it too. I'm not even sure. Um, but as I'm pulling the trigger on the pepper spray, he hits my right hand off of him. So I ended up getting the, the um, left side of his face as he's looking up to me. And I could tell I got him pretty good because his whole, the whole left side of his face turned orange. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> now I'm kind of falling to my right because he, of the force of him hitting me. And um, I ended up throwing my pepper spray can into the parking lot. We're just feet away from my car too. And as I come back on center over him, my left hand goes to his waist. I didn't see anything. I didn't hear anything. I had no indication that he was pulling a gun out of his waistband. Yet my left hand goes to his waistband and wraps around the pistol that he was pulling out to shoot me. Uh, it took me a second to, to register what was going on Yeah, because you always prepare and you always train throughout your career for that moment. Um, hoping it never happens, but knowing that it definitely could. And I'm holding it. It's March. It's still sort of cold out. It's windy. It's, it's Albuquerque. It gets kind of like that in, in Colorado too. Yeah. And I'm squeezing it and it, it dawns on me, well, this is, this is a gun, you mm-hmm. know, and, and, and now I have to, I have to react. Otherwise um, he's going to shoot me and I could lose my life. And you know, that that's not an outcome. That's, yeah. that's acceptable by any means. Just escalates to a, Absolutely. Whole, to a whole new level. It's, that's where de-escalation is out the window. Yes. And it's me having to pull my firearm out 
and go to that next level above or that level. Exactly. Fight or flight. So as I'm pulling my handgun out, my fingers on the trigger and I'm, I'm coming up on target. Mind you, I'm still on top of him too. There's nowhere for me to go. And as I'm coming up on target, I'm getting ready to pull the trigger and he's able to twist the gun just out of my grasp enough and pressed it against my left pelvis. As he did that, he immediately fired one shot, which fractured my pelvis, missed my femoral artery and my iliac artery by centimeters, if not millimeters, and the bullet went straight into my lower spine. So it, it went into my L, uh, L5S1, and <clears throat> it lodged in, into that area. I flew back from the force. It was just, it was like somebody hitting you with a sledgehammer. Knocked me all the way back on my back. I still had my handgun out. And I don't, I don't know really what happened at that point, except for him getting up and running back towards his car, which now I'm laying on my back and I'm trying to stand up and I can't stand up. I'm thinking that I'm paralyzed because the damage to your nerves and the resulting pain and incapacitation is immediate. So I'm trying to roll to stand up to, I don't know, chase him, to shoot back. I I don't know what I was going to do. I just knew that ultimately somebody who just tried to kill me is trying to get away, and that's unacceptable. I couldn't stand up, so I ended up using the platform that I had. I don't know if you guys shoot guns, but you're always looking for a good shooting platform. We train with shooting uh, different shooting platforms, and we train as if we're wounded. Yeah. And... um, I ended up just um, getting uh, as decent of a sight picture as I could with one hand uh, on my back as he's running. And I just fired as, as many times as I, as I could um, as controlled as possible because there was a, you know, there was nobody in the parking lot in, in, you know, behind him, a lot of cars. Um, It was nighttime. So, you know, it was lit up somewhat. I fired as much as I could, ended up hitting him several times. And as soon as I reg- registered to me that he was down on the ground, I stopped. And as that happened, people were coming out of the casino, whether they were just exiting, some people heard it, security was on duty. So they started coming out, but there was a nice gentleman and his wife who were leaving the casino who witnessed the entire thing. And the, the male half of that couple you know, said, did he shoot you? I said, yes. And he ran to his car, which was close by to get his pistol. Uh, New Mexico is a, you know, you can carry in your car. It's an extension of your home. Um, He grabbed his pistol, ran up to the suspect who was lying face down, still armed at the time. He took the weapon from his hand, kind of made the scene safe for me because at this point now, shock's going to start setting in. Yeah. Security came out. Um, I actually handed the security guard who I knew personally, um, you know, we did a lot of work at the, at the casino. So I knew all these security officers and gave him my gun to so this point. Now everything's setting in and, and though I never lost consciousness, um, you're just done at yeah. a point you've expended all your, your energy. You're, you're going to have that adrenaline dump and things are just going to be mm-hmm. screwy, you know, um, you're bleeding. And you're bleeding, yeah. right? And at the time, I was also on blood thinners. Oh wow! 
for a blood clotting disorder that I was dealing with for actually a couple of years. So I was not only on the pills, but I was on injections that I had to give myself. I'm not sure if it's once or twice a day. So scared at that point too, that, okay, well, I was just shot. I don't know if there's an exit wound. If there's an exit wound, I'm going to bleed a lot. I'm probably not going to make it to the hospital. So now all these things are running through your mind. I'm going to die. Um, Or am I going to die? My fiance is at home now with, you know, um, my soon to be stepson who was probably nine at the time. Um, The female half of that couple asked what she could do. Is there somebody I can call? I actually was able to get on the radio that shots had been fired. They knew my location, didn't know the exact location, but shots had been fired and then I had been hit. An officer that was going home at the time and passing that location, which was perfect because he was in the area, was able to swing around on the highway and, and was able to find me. Now everybody's responding priority one and um, you know helicopters are coming. But I actually had that female um, grab my phone from my, my cop car and I unlocked it for her. And she called my fiance and my mother-in-law, future mother-in-law, was um, staying at her house as well because we were getting ready to move into a house. I think that that very next week. Um, so I mean that that was I mean that's the incident. I was I was on the ground. Everyone showed up. The ambulance showed up. Fire department showed up. They um, scooped me up, threw me on the ambulance. Um, you know they're cutting all your clothes off. It's very scary. They start giving you morphine, which makes you feel good. The pain's still there, but it kind of, I started getting my sense of humor back. You know what I mean? Right, it was, it was, right exactly. Um, sort of helps with that adrenaline dump. Transported me to the hospital. I spent roughly two weeks in the hospital, majority of that time in, in the ICU. Um, surgery, had some surgery? No or? surgery, which is shocking. Yeah. Um, they left a bullet in, so it's still there today, um, which is the cause of a lot of my pain that I deal with on a daily basis. So no surgery, just some procedures. I did spend, like I said, most of the time on the ICU because we did some complications um, due to the, the opiates. Once you get to the hospital, it's not morphine anymore. It's dilaudid, mm-hmm. you know, and it's other pain medic- medication and, and um, more of the uh, anti-blood um, clotting medication as well. Surrounded by family, surrounded by, you know, the U.S. attorney was there. His office staff was there. Police officers everywhere. Um, Lots of questions. Lots of questions. Investigators are showing up from the federal government. And I worked on a federal, you know, Native American reservation. So automatically the Federal Bureau of Investigation. Um, So they're arriving at the hospital. They want to ask you questions. During the shooting, when I was firing back, my weapon malfunctioned and, excuse me, it malfunctioned. And so I had to clear through that. I wasn't done firing yet. Excuse me, the subject wasn't, the threat wasn't ended at that point. So I I ended ended up being a stovepipe. So I had a good uh, shell that that got snagged in the injection port of my Mm -hmm. pistol. So I had to clear that out. And along with that, a good round was cleared out and landed on the ground. And then I had to reload in a new magazine and get back on target and start firing again, which is amazing. I mean, to think that, you know, you never know if you're ready for a situation yeah. like that. 
and it's going to look back and, and, and say, you know, Hey, I, you know, I cleared through a malfunction instinct through such one. exactly muscle memory instinct. Yeah. Uh, but they, they remember them asking me why there was a good round on the ground because it was on, it was obviously mine. Um, so I had to tell them that in basic rundown. And I think it was one of those situations that was not only from, from the statements that I gave and I had no issue with giving a statement. I knew that I did everything correctly. I knew that per, you know, law, per policy, everything I did was, was correct. So I had no problem giving that information to investigators. Um, but through that and through the video, the surveillance video and the body camera video that they were able to access, everybody knew, I think, outside of, you know, the investigation took a year. Wow. But everyone knew that this was going to be a justified use of force, you know, based mm -hmm. on the fact that I was shot first anyways. And there was a legal reason for me to contact him to begin with. So I ended up at home uh, on the couch for about a year. Wow. Couldn't move much. Couldn't even do physical therapy. The pain was just incredible. Um, you know, the nerve damage is irreversible and that was very severe. So mainly to the peroneal and to the sciatic yeah. nerves, um, just destroyed through that shooting. So, yeah, I mean the bullet, all the fragments are still yeah. inside of me. Um, so, it's, it's been so, a long road. And, and then where were you mentally right after? I mean, all this pressure, all this stress at the hospital, obviously they're telling you your situation physically. And uh, you have all this pressure to, for you to tell them probably a hundred times the same story, right? Everybody. Yeah. And, um, yeah. and then you're at home. Where are you mentally? So that's a funny question. And it's not an easy one to answer mm -hmm. because initially in the hospital, you're just there. Yeah. You're, you're on so many narcotics. Right. Uh, my family flew out from Florida. My brother flew out from Pennsylvania. Um, I had extended family through my fiance's side that were there. Everybody's coming to visit and you're just kind of there. You're falling asleep all the time because of all the medication. People are coming to visit and you're falling asleep in the middle of a conversation. Um, you're really anxious to get home because you don't want to be in the hospital anymore. I couldn't eat, you know? Yeah. Um, so that part is difficult. I'd say that things mentally started to get bad about halfway through the, the hospital stay. And you're just an unstable mess. Things are starting to hit you. Your life is completely different. Um, it was, things were going so well beforehand. You loved your job, you know, you were just happy. And now you're almost dead. And you don't know what the future holds. You don't know if you're gonna be able to go back to work. You know, you don't know if you're going to be taken care of. Yeah. Um, and then you get home and things really start to hit you. It's not right away, you know, because people are starting to come visit you. They're, they're there all the time. They want to be with you all the time. And then the support sort of, it goes away. And people stop coming over and they stop calling. The department's only calling or coming by when they have something to discuss as far as the investigation goes. But they're not coming just to hang out. Right. <clears throat> my wife had a month off from work, which was great. And my mother-in-law stayed, um, gosh, a couple months to help take care of me mm -hmm. once my wife ended up going back to work. So it was great. People helped move us in. Yeah. Um, other officers and deputies from, from the area, you know, got us all moved in. 
And yeah, when, when that support kind of starts to go away, you're just alone, hmm. you know, and, and you don't know how to process that. You don't know how to handle it. And you're constantly searching for what you had before because the doubt of where you're going to end up is still there. Yeah. I mean, the doubt is still there today, more than three years later. Yeah. You think, you know, and I can remember looking forward and thinking, well, two, three years from now, things will be good, you know, and I'm going to, I'm going to be where I need to be and where I want to be, you know, uh, most importantly, and I'm still not there mm-hmm. physically or emotionally. Mm-hmm. So I don't know how my day is going to be physically or emotionally until I wake up. Mm-hmm. And then it doesn't meet, really matter because things could change from one minute to the next. Yeah. It really doesn't matter. Yeah. It's so hard to describe post-traumatic stress and depression and anxiety, which are things that really kind of get you yeah. and, and change your life and they can ruin your life mm-hmm. if you're not careful. So, I mean, to, to answer that question, I'm still not where I want to be. Yeah. And I still have a lot of difficult days and difficult hours and, and difficult weeks, yeah. but to have the love and support of your family, yeah. paramount. And I think you've made a decision to push through and to continue getting better right. one day at a time and to, you know, get, get past. I mean, I don't think you'll ever completely forget what happened. I mean, it's, it's impossible, but I think at this point in your life, um, it, you know, I, I can see, I mean, and you, you, you raced your first Spartan race, how long ago? Last year in August. Yeah. How was that? Uh, I mean, amazing. What, what, how did they convince you? Um, and, and tell us maybe a little bit about Operation Enduring Warrior and that has, what, ha, what that has meant for you. Honestly, it didn't take much convincing. I think I was at a point in my recovery and in my life where I didn't want to feel sorry for myself anymore. Because mm-hmm. you do a lot of that. You know, you have your pity parties, which you're allowed. I mean, going through a traumatic event like that, nobody can tell you how to feel. I wouldn't listen anyways. I mean, it's, it, I own it, you know. So if I want to have a crappy day, I'm going to have a crappy day. Mm-hmm. OEW was starting Task Force Sentinel. And which is the, the, you know, honoring, empowering and motivating our nation's catastrophically injured and disabled law enforcement officers alongside our uh, catastrophically injured and disabled military members, um, which is a fantastic program. Probably the best organization literally that I can think of out there. Um, There's a few that are close and near and dear to my heart, definitely. But OEW reached out and they said, hey, we're starting this program. We want you to come to the Spartan event, be our first law enforcement honoree. Um, So it was me and and a guy from NYPD who was there when 9-11 occurred, uh, Steve Bones. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, this is amazing, man. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, He's a beast, honestly. Yeah. So it was him and... Tyler Wilson from uh, who we talked about from Colorado as well. Now we were already living in Colorado at the the time. I think my memory is it's another thing. The shootings, traumatic events do is they sort of mess up your memory. So I'm pretty sure I was here at the time. Um, But so Tyler was doing it for the military side. I think it was his second. So it was nice to be able to talk to him and his wife, Crystal, because 
they had that experience. They did Fort Carson. That's right. They did Fort Carson the, the, a few months earlier. And of course he was doing it in a chair. Uh, I was a, probably a little more spry and in shape then than I am now. Um, medication, unfortunately has not, not just a medication, but some medication side effects as you gain weight, you know, um, and then I think along with that comes, I have bad knees to begin with and my back is messed up. I mean, you go on my injuries to have a bullet in your spine, you know, you can imagine. Yes. And then I lost a lot of strength in my left leg from atrophy because I was sitting around for a year. Mm. And since then, I'm really not active. I'm not that, I'm not that active. I just, it's, it's hard to be. Um, and then foot drop in my left foot. So my foot doesn't lift up, mm. uh, which is why I walk with a cane and sometimes a brace. But I had gotten this brace, this really great brace from an organization. They donated it to me. And I thought, well, it's helping me walk. I can sort of jog a little bit. CJ from Task Force Sentinel OEW got a hold of me. And he said, hey, we're starting this great program. Come be an honoree. We'll fly you out to West Point. You know, we'll, we'll take care of everything. We'll pick you up. We'll bring you back to the airport. We got your lodging. And we're just going to have a great time. And you're going to be able to challenge yourself, but not only are you going to be able to challenge yourself, but you're going to be able to motivate others. Because being that first honoree, I think looking back was a big responsibility. I had to complete this race. Mm -hmm. I had to do as well as I could. And I wanted to do it with as little assistance as possible. Because there's going to be other guys, Jeremy Charlow, who's now an honoree from Illinois, uh, Drew Stokes from Jacksonville, uh, amazing people. And they followed sort of um, in my footsteps to do the same thing. And yep. I hope that not only what I did motivates, motivated them, but it motivated future masked athlete team members when they come into the training and get beat up for, was it a week for the mat team? Because I've done videos um, that they show before they even start their training. Yeah. Um, so they, yeah, I mean, th that's how it started. <clears throat> and then of course we're going to Sacramento on Thursday to do the Sacramento super. The, the West point was a sprint. I've challenged myself. I know that I can do the uh, super though. I know, like I said, I'm not as in, you know, I'm not physically I'm, I'm hurting more this year than I was. Um, last year. So I know it's going to be tough and I know I'm going to need more assistance, but I've, I've proven to myself that I can do it. Yeah. What was the feeling after the race, after the first race? Cause you know, I'm sure you went in and you're like, yeah, I want to do it, but I don't know what the heck I'm doing. You finish the race. How do you feel? You're scared before. Yes. Terrified. I'm shaking. But then again, the bagpipes, you know, you're, you're in this parade of people you're holding, uh, a flag for OEW and everybody knows who you are. Mm -hmm. Everybody in these Spartan races knows who OEW is and they love OEW and the relationship that they have with Spartan is unbelievable as well. So everyone's clapping and everyone's, I mean, I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about it. Everybody yeah. knows who you are and they love you and, and, they're, and they, and they know why you're there. So you're scared and you're nervous and you're excited. And I've never challenged myself physically like that. I've been through three police academies. Yeah. This was all of those in one. Hmm. And during the race, it's amazing. You're going up and down the obstacles. You're going under the water, which is disgusting. Hmm. And, but you're loving it because 
not only are the Matt team members helping you, but you're also there to help them as well. Yeah. You know, you're motivating each other. Um, and you're getting closer and closer to the end. And, you, and you're kind of telling yourself, okay, I got five more obstacles. I got two more obstacles. And then you jump over the fire and you're done. <clears throat> and you just, it's just complete elation. Yeah. You know, you feel like, felt like I was at the top of the world. Mm-hmm. That I could do anything I wanted to. I knew that if I had any doubt whether or not I could survive this recovery, it was over. That was, it was gone. Mm-hmm. Um, because you've done now the hardest thing outside of the shooting. I, I've, that was the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. And also the most rewarding. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then the pain sets in from being sore. <laughs> yeah. Because I'm, you know, I don't go to the gym every day. I try the day after. Right. right. Yeah. Well, actually not even. No, two no, days? no, within a couple really? of hours. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, hours. it is. It gets rough, man. Yeah, I couldn't stand up. And then we get back to the hotel and everyone's getting pizza and, uh, you know, team dinner. And I could barely get downstairs. You just want to die. Yeah, you just want to die. <laughs> you know, and then the, the, the trip back home. But well, you're happy, though. You're happy. Right. You're very happy. Um, but it was physically, it was am- amazingly difficult. But uh, thinking back to that, it was pretty amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So what would you tell to anybody in, in your situation or even that is not disabled um, about, you know, taking a, taking a challenge and challenge themselves and, and participating in an obstacle course race and a Spartan race? I think that if anybody wants to challenge themselves physically, this is especially for the people who don't have any physical disabilities. Colorado is a great place to challenge yourself. Mm-hmm. The Manitou incline, the mini incline, things like that I'd, I'd love to do um, are great. But when you're doing a Spartan event, you're helping organizations like OEW mm-hmm. who if veterans mean anything to you or granted, I know there's a lot of divisiveness between law enforcement and some, some fraction of the general public. And I think that that's very misguided because I mean, we're, I'm a, I'm a person, you know, Um, I love a lot of the things that a lot of other people do. Um, That's not what defines me. I think what defines me is, is the challenges after my shooting. But if you support in any way law enforcement and our veterans, putting your money towards a Spartan event and going to challenge yourself and test yourself not only that, but to have fun doing it, meeting great people and then putting, you know, some of that money is going to go back into programs like OEW or Spartan Para. Um, You can't, you can't do anything better um, in this world than, than something like that. Um, I don't know that I ever would have done it if I didn't end up disabled. I wouldn't know the people I know today, you know? So I benefited in a lot of ways going through what I did because now I have this sort of family around me who are going to not let me say no. Mm-hmm. But if you're looking for something to challenge yourself, disabled or not, they have, they got to have Spartans almost in every state. They do. You know, yeah. so you can definitely find one and it's so worth mm-hmm. traveling. If you need to travel, paying the fee yeah. um, and just being around that collective of people um, and, and, and seeing people that, will motivate not only you but they motivate people like me as well amazing team building event as well right for you know companies and families and you know uh really anyone so um man i can't wait to talk to you after you do the sacramento one 
right. have to wait until I can walk. Yeah, and Spartan even has now, uh, you know, an honor series. You know, like there's there's certain races that are part of the honor series, so they're they're especially in usually military bases or or mm-hmm. with strong military uh, presence. And uh, you know, yeah, like just like you said, man, it, uh, it's it's you're helping some of the money. I mean, Spartan actually announced that for Veterans Day, you know, like any veteran can invite another veteran to, to or, or, poli- or, or police, they can invite uh, somebody else to the free race. So, you know, Spartan is constantly pouring money into into getting people out there, into into organizations like OEW, like Oscar Mike. There's, there's, a, there's a bunch of them that, they, that they're, they're constantly helping veterans, you know, and constantly helping first responders. So, yeah, the, the whole... And, and, you know, I, I think we, we all, being Veterans Day, you know, it helped. Uh, I think veterans, even though there's more support needed, they, they do have a lot of support. But, you know, like we were talking right before the interview, you know, I think there's, there's, there's a lot needed to, to support um, our, our police force, uh, even way more than, than we are currently, you know. Uh, it's nationwide, even not just, not just, not just disabled police officers, but also, but also active duty police officers. You know, I mean, that's, that, that's, those are the people that are keeping us safe. You know, those are the, the reason, you know, coming from a third world country, we, we, we see we're from Ecuador and we see what, what not having a strong police force and not having that, that, the the support of, of them keeping us safe can, can, can be, you know I mean? You see it in the news in Venezuela and many, many places that, that, so, be thankful to you, to, to your local police, you know, be thankful to what they're doing, what they're, what they're providing for you, what, what they're helping you. And, and even though even, and, and people like you that have given so much and that have given actually even, even your health and, and for, for, for a greater purpose to serve, you know, and, and uh, we need to, we need to support you guys way more than we're currently, uh, currently are in this country, you know? I think in my lifetime, I see more support of veterans than ever before mm-hmm. and it's only getting stronger. Yeah. You're right. I think with law enforcement, there's not nearly as much support. It's something that I think is gaining traction, but the scale needs to tip a little bit to, to be more equal. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we're getting there. I think with organizations like OEW, yeah. um, you know, pe- people that, might not have personally any connection with law enforcement, but get involved with OEW and then help us out. Um, the more the message is spread, because we're a lot of law enforcement, we're veterans as well. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. I think probably a majority of us. I mean, it's just a natural progression of going from the military into a paramilitary type organization mm-hmm. with the rank structure and you know, the, the terrible hours and things, you know, (laughs) and just putting your life on hold for an organization or a greater good that, you know, that that's where we end up. So I think the support is rising. I think it's, it's becoming equal, but like you said, there's, there's a lot more work to be done. Mm -hmm. And I hope that's, you know, I, I, I want to motivate injured um, not just law enforcement, veterans, emergency responders, such as EMS workers and fire, yep. um, and anybody else that, that might work in those professions, but they're not injured. And they see this as a way, as an avenue to challenge themselves on top of 
providing support, extra added needed support to um, the ones who do end up injured. Yes. So no, and and you know what you say is so right, and I I think that as a community and as I've been I've been happy to see things like in my kids' school, for example, we now have an on-duty police mm -hmm. officer there the whole right. day, right? right. And I, I see the awareness being brought to, hey, you know, this is a person that is here to protect, to serve, yeah. to defend. And, and I see a lot of people saying hello, shaking hands, being nice. And I think we, we got to instill in our children that sense of, hey, police is who keeps us safe. Police is who serves right. us who helps us in a, in a, in a moment of distress, just like you were saying, you know, and, and, and to me, just like Ricardo said, you know, we grew up in a country where the, the police is corrupt, you know, there's no integrity. So living here in the States for so many years now, for me over two decades, Ricardo as well, we understand and we're so thankful that you can count on a police officer here mm -hmm. to be a person of integrity, of morals, of, you know, somebody that you can actually, um, go to and, and say, Hey, you know, would you help me with this? Right. And that person's willing to, right. Right. Because, you know, part of their duty is to serve, you know, and not only because it's their job, but because they want to as well. Yeah. You know, I always had this draw to helping people mm -hmm. always. And, um, I mean, I, I couldn't think of a better way to spend nearly 20 years of my life between the military uh, law enforcement that I did and, and the civilian law enforcement that I did. And it's just, it continues, you know, yeah. I, I still want to help people. Yeah. Um, whether I'm in uniform or not, it, it doesn't, the need for that doesn't go away. Exactly. It's, it's probably even stronger today than yeah. it was. So, yeah. So for anybody watching, I hope you can, if you see a police officer today, Hey, just, just come to him, her, shake their hand, say, thank you. You know, let's, let's give them a smile and let, let's make him feel appreciated. Cause I think yeah, that's one of the simplest ways that we can show that they're appreciated for their service and what they do for us every day, even when you're not watching or seeing. So PJ, thank you so much brother Thanks, for sir. being with us. Appreciate it. We look forward to talk to you again soon. Good luck. Thanks, on PJ. Thank we'll, be, we'll be rooting for you. Oh yeah. I'm and uh, yeah. <laughs> and I'll, I'll, I'll text you and call you after. See how it went, okay? Yeah, man. This, the the super is a different animal, man. The super, the super, the super is gonna hurt a little bit. I'm not gonna lie, but you, you, you would, you'll be all right, man. You'll be all right. I hope so. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, thank appreciate you. Appreciate you. it. Thanks, guys. You guys in the next one.